You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Take our Bibles this evening and we're going to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 17. This evening, I don't have a Christmas message, so I'll just burst that bubble while we're there. It's December and I don't have a Christmas message. I am not uh, Scrooge. I'm not the Grinch. I, as a matter of fact, I love Christmas and uh, we love it around here, but I, I feel like uh, this is the message God has for us tonight. And so we're looking at Acts chapter 17. Partially the reason I don't want to preach a Christmas message tonight is I know that Brother Dan is really working on a good one for next Wednesday, and I I definitely don't want to take away from that. So anyway, let's look at verse number one together. We're actually going to read down through verse 14 of Acts chapter 17. Verse number one says, Now when they had passed through that word and uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews. Now this is Paul and Silas here on their second missionary journey through the land of um, Macedonia. And so we have in verse 2, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath, Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ, or is the Messiah. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul, joined uh, with them and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people, And when they had found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these also do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. They troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. When they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. In verse 10, we have, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto a place called Berea, who, coming thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few." But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. Then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timothy, uh, Timotheus abode there still. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity tonight to have church, the middle of the week, and I pray that uh, you'd use this time as we've come to, to hear from your word not come to hear from a man, but yet we've come to hear the truth preached that it may edify us tonight. And I pray that I'd do just that, that I'd step aside of myself and let your word go forward as uh, you've promised it won't return void. We'll give you all the glory for what you do tonight. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. My message tonight 
is entitled The Truth in Two Cities. Uh, not to be confused with The Tale of Two Cities, the Charles Dickens novel, uh, but The Truth in Two Cities. We have here Thessalonica, and then we have Berea. And as I was reading this, uh, it was, I guess, a couple weeks ago in our Bible reading schedule, it just stood out to me the difference between these two cities, yet they were so close together, how they received the truth. And so as we look here at, at the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as it goes into a city, what happens to it? How do the people react to it? What does it do there? And so we're going to examine tonight this passage and look into that. Now, uh, just as a background, as we look at this second missionary journey that the Apostle Paul took, uh, he uh, had this vision. Uh, a man from Macedonia said, come, come unto us and, and preach to us. We, we need you to come over into Ma uh, Macedonia and help us. And so that uh, Paul believed that was from the Lord and called to go there to preach the gospel. And so they were obedient and they went and they uh, made this journey into uh, Macedonia here. And Paul and Silas, one of their first stops was at Philippi, a, a large city there in Macedonia, uh, where we find the first convert uh, recorded here in Macedonia, which was Lydia. And she, the Bible says a seller of, uh, of purple here in Acts 16, verses 15, uh, 14 and 15. Then shortly after that, we have the conversion of the Philippian jailer. And we know that story. As he came to Paul and Silas, they were singing uh, hymns in the middle of the night. And, and it was amazing what God did. Uh, and, and all the, the shackles fell off and the prison doors were open. And, and this prisoner was thinking, I, I've gone mad and, and I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm just, I, I, I don't know what to do. So, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And uh, that's, that's where we see uh, this Philippian jailer uh, converted there and saved. And then... We get to chapter 17 as Paul makes his way into Thessalonica. No doubt there's been uh, many highs and lows in the Apostle Paul's life as uh, Jesus uh, himself told him that he would uh, be uh, going through severe persecution. And so we have it here, the Apostle Paul makes his way into Thessalonica. Now it seems to be a strategy of the Apostle Paul that uh, he uh, is to go to these larger cities, the, the, the more populous cities, and there as he would reach a, a select a few of those believers in each city, then a, a church would be planted, and then that city, that church in that city would then influence uh, the surrounding areas. And we see that as he goes from, from city to city. Could I say tonight, as we apply this to us as Christians, we're, we're looking at cities here, but if we apply it to us as Christians, may I say as introduction, your success as a Christian, it hinges on the treatment of the truth Amen. and those who bear it. When the truth came to Bethlehem that one night in a manger, there were those that sought it to receive it, to come and worship Jesus, the Messiah. But there was also those that sought it to destroy it. And so the question tonight is, what are we, as Christians, doing with the truth? This evening, I want to look at this and examine it with you. What happened to the truth as it entered into these cities, Thessalonica and Berea? Thessalonica, what, th this word Thessalonica literally means hot springs. And as we just read in this passage, there was more than just hot springs. I think there was some hot tempers as well. Uh, as Paul went to uh, Thessalonica. It was a populous city. About 200,000 people lived there. Thessalonica was also a prosperous city, as it was uh, a, a city that was the capital of the province 
of Macedonia. If I say Mesopotamia anywhere in the message, please, please uh, bear with me, because I mean to say Macedonia, but that other word keeps coming to my head. Uh, sitting within the Gulf of the Aegean Sea, it was very large, and it had a busy harbor. They were very prosperous there. There was a large Roman element, and there was a Jewish colony there as well. This was Thessalonica. And so let's see here, as the truth, as the Apostle Paul comes bearing the truth of the gospel of Christ, and he goes in to Thessalonica, let's see, as I have four points tonight, so if you're taking notes, they all start with the letter O, but let's see what happens when he enters the city. It says, now when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and, and uh, Apollonia, or how, uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. Now notice here, in both cities, we have the Apostle Paul, the first stop he makes is right in the synagogue. Man, he goes right to work. There's no messing around. He knows his job, and he does it. And he goes in and, and uh, preaches there in the synagogue, and notice that he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. The Apostle Paul wasn't one just to go and promote his own ideas or promote his own agenda or propaganda. He had studied up. He knew exactly what he had to give to them. He knew exactly that this gospel of, the, of, of Jesus Christ would be the very thing to change their lives. And this was the truth that was to uh, permeate and saturate every area of the world. He knew he had a, an immense job to do, and so he was definitely prepared. He reasoned with them out of the scriptures. That was all they had. They had the Old Testament at the time. That, that's all that they could compare to. They didn't have the New Testament like we do. And so the Apostle Paul took that Old Testament scripture and reasoned with them and showed them how Jesus was the Christ. There were some that received it and some that did not. But number one, I'd like to say that there was opportunity. In this truth, in the two cities, there was opportunity. There was an opportunity to hear the Word of God. There was an opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ preached. And may I say tonight that I am thankful to be in a country, America, where we have the opportunity and we have the freedom to hear the gospel without persecution. America, the land of opportunity. We have uh, the freedom as our country was founded upon religious liberty. Our country uh, adopted in 1791 the Bill of Rights because our fathers, our founding fathers knew that uh, the ability to speak and worship freely was a natural right and it was to be protected by this First Amendment. Congress is also prohibited from making laws establishing religion or abridging uh, freedom of speech. The Fourth Amendment safeguards citizens' rights to be free from unreasonable government intrusions in their homes through the requirement of a warrant. That's the country we live in. That is our rights as Americans. And I just want to say that I'm proud and I'm thankful to be an American tonight. That is God's grace on us. There are thousands of other places that we could be tonight, but God has allowed us to be in this land of opportunity, the land of America. Because of our freedom as a people, we have the opportunity to hear this unrestricted truth. We can go to church. We can watch church online. 
We don't have to worry about the government censoring uh, what's going out on the television or what's going out on the internet like some other countries do. But I fear that because we've experienced this freedom for so long and the opportunity we have to hear the truth, I fear that we've taken it for granted to an extent. In 1999, 70% of Americans say that they were church members. They attended a church of some type. 8% say that they have no religion. Fast forward to 2018, almost 20 years later, 50% of Americans are church members. And 19% say they have no religion. That's a pretty big drop, 20%. I want to go a step further, and I, I want a, us to realize tonight that my generation, the younger millennials, if you will, I, I looked up some stats here from uh, the Pew Research, and among younger millennials, the belief in God, 50% believe in God and it, uh, absolutely certain that there is a God. 50% of my generation. How about the importance of religion in one's life among younger millennials? Well, only 38% said it was very important for religion. Some more stats say that uh, there, there is 56% of my generation that believe in hell. 56% do. 68% believe that there's a heaven. An another statistic says here that attendance at religious services among uh, younger millennials, that 28% uh, that attend at least once a week. So what are we seeing here? Well, the majority believe that there's a heaven and a hell. The majority say that, well, it it's, it's pretty important. But yet, only 28% of my generation attend at least once a week. The frequency of a participation in a, a prayer or a scripture study service like what we're in tonight, 62% never go of my generation. 62% don't go to these kind of services like, like we have tonight. I think there's a need. We've taken for granted this opportunity. As a matter of fact, 53% of younger millennials uh, never read the Bible. 53%. And only 25% read it at least once a week. That's my generation. Interpreting Scripture among uh, young millennials, we find that only 20% believe that the Bible is the Word of God and should be taken literally. 44% believe that the Bible is not the Word of God. That's my uh, generation. And yet, when you put all that together, even though they believe in God, even though the majority believe in a heaven and a hell, their church membership and their Bible reading, it doesn't seem like there's much of an urgency for it. As a matter of fact, belief in absolute standards for right and wrong among younger millennials, 78% believe that right or wrong depends on the situation. 21% say they are, uh, there are clear standards for what is right and wrong. That's where we'd fall in. There, the Bible says what's right and wrong. There's sources of, of guidance. So they were asked, okay, what is your source of knowing what is right and wrong? 
40 uh, 46% believe, that, that's the, the majority out of this statistic, statistic, believes that common sense is, is the, the thing that tells you what's right and wrong. Can you believe that? And only 23% believe religion establishes what's right and wrong. I think we can safely uh, predict that there's a decline in the appreciation of the opportunity that we have in America. And so when we have that opportunity, let's not take it for granted. That's why we go to church, and that's why you're here. That's why you're watching online as well, because we have this opportunity, and let's not take it for granted. Needless to say, there are other countries in this world, like China and Russia and others, that control their people and control what they hear. They limit it to where they're under the subjection of their own propaganda. As the Apostle Paul traveled into Macedonia and gave the people there an opportunity to hear the truth and, and to receive the truth, that's what the Apostle Paul uh, did, and that was his uh, mission. I don't know about you tonight, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to hear the truth and to receive it. Anybody else out there like that? I'm thankful to be saved tonight. I'm thankful for the opportunity that I had to hear the gospel, and when I heard the gospel, I received it as truth. The next three points we're going to cover uh, about the, um, after the opportunity here, about the truth going into these cities, these next three points are going to be the reaction that the Thessalonians and or Bereans had to the truth. And so number two, not only was there opportunity as truth entered into the city, there was an opportunity to hear the truth, but number two, we find very quickly that there was opposition. There was opposition to reject the truth. As we look here at uh, verse five, but the Jews which believed not moved with envy. Envious. What were there, why was there envy in this situation? You know why? Because the Thessalonians, there was a great number. It says not a few. There, there were Thessalonians that gladly received his word, that gladly received that Jesus was the Christ. And yet these Jews that didn't believe, they were really discontent. And they were disgusted that there would be rejoicing over something that they didn't believe. And so as, as these Thessalonians, the, the unbelieving Jews, they were moved with envy. And then notice that second phrase, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Good night, I don't want to be a part of that camp. <laughs> took unto themselves vile and evil men, rabble-rousers, rioted in the city, notice there, uh, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar. And then, as they took their, their protest, they went to uh, the house of Jason where they believed Paul and Silas were. And they took out Jason and, and uh, they were looking for Paul and Silas, couldn't find them, they had already left. And then they brought Jason and a few other brethren before the city council and tried to get them punished for uh, allowing these people to uh, turn the world upside down. These people that didn't believe, there was, oh, there was an opposition to the truth. And for us as Christians, we've got to realize that wherever there is truth, there is always going to be opposition. There will always be that opposition there. And what we do and how we allow that to affect us is up to us. But I will say those who reject the truth always turn to deception and destruction. Because the opposite of light is darkness. 
The opposite of peace is destruction. Paul and Silas then, uh, they fled to Berea. All right, so we're moving out of Thessalonica. And uh, these Thessalonians, there was a great number that, that believed. And we'll see, that's why the Apostle Paul uh, wrote First and Second Thessalonians, because there was a church there that had formed. But now the Apostle Paul is going to uh, Berea with Silas. And I wonder if they were thinking in the back of their mind, oh, man, Thessalonica was, was a crazy place. Oh, we barely got out of there alive. I wonder what Berea is going to hold for us. I wonder if they're just going to be waiting for us with, with pitchforks and, and uh, ready to get us. But when they came, the Apostle Paul, what did he do? Well, he did exactly what he did in Thessalonica. It says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night, in verse 10, unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. He went right into the synagogue and started preaching uh, there in Berea. And I can imagine that to their relief, they found the people of Berea in a much better disposition than they uh, found in Thessalonica. This word Berea means watered, and they get that from uh, this area was well-watered plains. And they, they had a lot of prosperity as well in a different sort. They had a lot of produce, and that helped them uh, to grow as a city. Although it's believed that Berea was only a population of 20,000. If you remember, Thessalonica was 200,000. Uh, 200, and so Berea was a prosperous town. But notice the disposition here. As we look at verse 11, the Bible says these were more noble. Hmm. How so? Because they had more money? Because they were of a higher class? These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Could I say, as we look at true nobility, that is our riches in Christ, that's how God sees it, and I believe that these people were more noble simply because of their open-heartedness. That's point number three. All right, we have the opportunity to hear the truth. Number two, we have the opposition, those that rejected the truth. And then number three, we have now the open-heartedness. When the truth entered Berea, the people were there and they were ready. They were ready to receive what Paul had to say. When we hear the Word of God, I wonder tonight about our heart condition. Now, the Bereans here, they, they had an open heart. They were ready to receive. And I'm asking myself the same question tonight. Is it every service, when I sit in a service and I hear pastor preach and I hear other preachers preach, is my heart ready to receive what God has for me, that, that service. We do ourselves a great disservice if we don't prepare ourselves. Now, I, I, my, it's customary now, I guess, but I, I like to bring up food when I preach, so here it is. I'm not going to talk about the food itself necessarily, but what is that ready position when you eat food? When, when you're sitting down ready for dinner, well, I'll tell you what uh, the best position would be. Take that napkin, tuck it in your collar, you got the fork in one hand and the knife in the other, sitting up straight, ready to eat, right? That, that's the ready position. That's the, the posture for eating. You know, my children and uh, Michael, a lot of times he'd rather play 
than eat dinner. Oh, I'm busy doing this, and, and he, he doesn't even want to sit at the table, right? And we tell him to, and then 10 seconds later, he's up playing again, or whatever the case is. Emma, she usually wants to eat, but she knows exactly what she wants to eat. And if we give her something that she doesn't want, there's a, a little bit of a battle going on there, whether that's throwing some food on the floor. Not all the time. She's a, she's a good girl. But there are times when Emma is not completely ready for what's being served. But could I ask you tonight, when the message is preached, when we are given the bread of life, is our heart, is it ready? Is it ready to receive uh, what God has for us that day? 1 Peter 5.2 says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, uh, referring to the elders and uh, the pastors, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Pastor's job is to feed us. Are we ready? Are we ready to receive the word of God? Number four, and we'll be done. The word is observation. These Bereans, they had open heart. Open-heartedness, that is a word. And then the fourth point is observation, and that's to take attentive care to the truth. They were note-takers, if you will. They had their pen and their paper ready to take notes. Why? Because the Bereans, what did they do? Man, they heard what the Apostle Paul said and what they gave them. They received it. And then when church was over, they went home and they forgot all about it and said, well, that was a great message and let's carry on with my business. Is that what they did? No. What the Bereans did was they, they took notes. They received what the Apostle Paul had given to them. Now notice, I mean, th this, this is new territory for them. This is going against their customs and their traditions after the law that they had received before. So that, what, what did they have to do? Well, uh, as a natural student would do, they took notes. They went home and they studied for themselves. The Bible says they searched in the scripture whether those things were so. Not because they doubted the Apostle Paul. And not because they wanted to find a little fault in the preacher's message. But they received the word of God with, with readiness of mind. They took notes. They went home, searched the scriptures, and figured out, how can I improve on this? Man, how can I make this a part of my life? Yeah, oh, what, what the Apostle Paul has preached, this is, this is good. And this lines up exactly with what the Bible talks about, this Messiah coming. And so now, as, as I have this new truth, and as I apply it to my life, let me daily go over what the Word of God says so that I can improve on it myself, so that I can know for myself what the truth is and what the truth isn't. That's what the Apostle Paul did, and that's what the Bereans did. As they received the Word of God, they observed, and they took attentive care of the truth. It's not enough for the child of God to go to church and hear the Bible preached once a week. We need our daily bread from God's Word. It's not enough to hear the Bible preached once a week and say, yeah, that, that was a good message. And then go on without thinking about it again. The Word of God has been given to us to use and apply it to our lives on a regular basis. We must read it. must meditate on it. It means take time thinking about it. We must memorize it. We're to practice it. And we are to proclaim it. That is what we are to do with the truth. Man, as the Bereans did, may we also find that a challenge to us. Am I, every time I sit in this church pew, 
Am I, with an open heart, ready to receive and observe what the Bible has preached and therefore apply it to my life and figure out how I can improve and add it and apply it to my life on a daily basis? As a result of the Bereans' open-heartedness and observation, many of them believed. We see that there uh, in, uh, in verse 12. God could work in the city because the, the people were conditioned and disciplined enough to receive the truth. And when all was good, all was well, man, everything was going great. Guess what caught up with them? That opposition again. Oh, the truth, man, it just rained in their hearts. Oh, it was an incredible time. Man, they were having revival in Berea. Man, no opposition whatsoever. But then, oh, look what happened there. We read it earlier. But in verse 13, when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, ah, something good's going on over there. We're envious again. They came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. Now, the Bible doesn't really refer to Berea again in the New Testament. Uh, we, we don't know much more about what happened in the city of Berea, according to the Bible. But yet we do know that there was one man, Sopater, in Acts uh, 20, verse 4, he's mentioned. But he accompanies Paul, and he's from Berea. He goes with Paul into Asia. One of those Christians that no doubt were saved during this time when the Apostle Paul made a journey through Berea. So could I let you know tonight that as we have an openness of heart, and as we have the uh, careful observation of the Word of God preached, we also have to be aware that, yes, the opposition is going to come. There's no doubt about it. The Bible clearly tells us, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. John 15, 19, Jesus tells his disciples, If you were of the world, the world would love his, love his own. But because ye are not of the world, because I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. We know as Isaiah prophesied here about Jesus in chapter 53 of Isaiah, the Bible says that he, Jesus, is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid it as it were our own faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. There's always going to be that opposition. Why? Because the opposition does not want the truth. The opposition does not want Jesus. And as we are followers of Jesus... Therefore, the world and the opposition does not want us. Let us always be aware and never put down our guard that there's always going to be a battle. But may we, through the battle and through the times that the opposition rears its ugly head, may we maintain that open heart to what God uh, has for us as he uh, directs us as, as his children. May we keep that open heart. May we seek the opportunity to observe on a daily basis the word of God and apply it to our life. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.